All right, who's ready for the topic tonight? I am ready. Okay, great. And as always, you know, I've I've prepared. All right. For your instructions. Okay. Did the research. Uh huh. Don't really see the correlation. In fact, it was incredibly difficult for me to get the data that I needed. Why was this difficult? So, you know, there's not a whole lot out there on this subject. I mean, there are, like, communities, and they meet, apparently. Like, they have conventions and stuff like that. But it's it's bizarre. Wait, 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 wait. They have conventions for this? Yes. What are you talking... Wait. That seems like that could be a problem I, I mean there are people out there who are obsessed with this name so this uh, name? they just they you know they most of them are named eugene a- eric, some of them are eric eric wait a second be specific what do you think the topic is eugenics people who are nuts about the name eugene people who are eugene fanatics they're named eugene they've named their children eugene they've named their animals eugene what i don't get is why the hell you want me to study the freaking nazis Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Brian Moriarty. I'm Sarah Ashley. I am Eric Brickmont. And in the studio, in the Nerd Cave, with us tonight is a guest, a very special guest, a good friend of ours, Matt Lussier. Why, thank you, Eric. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that I was able to pronounce your last name and not make an ass of myself. Oh, it, it's thank great. You. you know, most people are like, Lussier, Lussier. No, Lucier. Good job. Lucier, thank you. It's it's my, my French and Belgian heritage. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, do you ever get the Lucier? I, I do. I have had that. Or the mm. Lucier. Is there a, a, a Lucier? Lucier. <laughs> Matthew Lucier. Are you here? You know, I got so tired of people mispronouncing my last name in elementary school. I would go, Matthew Lucier. It's French. Nice. And, and you know, it, it saved in people's minds. So there you go. Add a yeah. little sassy attitude to it. That's right. Well, yeah. He is French. Wee <laughs> wee. Oui, oui. I can say that. I can say that. French listeners, please save your hate mail. Actually, don't. I like French hate mail. It just feels I don't think we've somehow. ever gotten French hate mail. I don't think anybody in France listens to us. Oh, I have. But it's actually written on paper. To be fair, there's like one person, I think, in France who listens to us. I'm technically French Canadian, if you want to like make that wider. <gasps> Canadian? Oh, we love the Canadians, eh? <laughs> I wait, 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 wait. Canadian lineage as well. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Wait, we, we, we like the French Canadians? Okay, just making sure. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the French Canadians are awesome. They I got, mean, all Canadians are they've awesome. Got they're all, all extremely the, polite. They've got all the language of the French, but all the friendliness of the Canadia. <laughs> the Canadians. And uh, yeah, like Montreal is one of my like top five places I want to travel. And to. Tim Hortonsy. And Tim Hortonsy, yeah. Got to get some Timbits. <laughs> well, there we go. Oh, yeah. Double, double and some Timbits. <laughs> uh, well... How appropriate then that we are we're discussing uh, the number one name in Quebec uh, in you know in 2014, which was Eugene. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! Fact. That is, I told so you I did true. my research <laughs> very thorough. It's a lot easier to believe it or not to find uh, Quebecians if that's what they're called Quebecs uh, Quebec Quebecers Quebecois Quebecois um, than it is. That's <laughs> like what. <laughs> That it is to actually find Germans named Eugene. Because many of them are named like Hans and Fritz and Otto. Uh, interestingly enough, after 1945, not many named Adolf. Just kind of throwing it out there. Yeah. Adolf. Yeah, right, not, right. not too many. No. What? Anyway. It got uncomfortably silent in the nerd cave all of a sudden. <laughs> well, we're not actually talking about eugenics. 
and the name Eugene. However, good on you, Eric. Um, nice. <laughs> we are actually. I've been waiting two weeks to make this joke. <laughs> <laughs> I've been really excited. It's been cooking that and whole time. He's been waiting. <laughs> we are actually slow roasting. Talking about the controversial topic of eugenics. Yes. So. Let's go ahead and get, just right off to the bat, let's get a good definition of what eugenics is. Yeah. Well, I mean, eugenics in, in a literal sense is the idea of, of bettering one's self through selective breeding processes, right? So bettering a population. Bettering the human right. race. Right. Yeah. Not oneself, yeah, because yeah. you're already born. You bettering a specific be vision of yeah. the human race. The human race, exactly. Yeah. And this is bettering breeding. in air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because as you begin to understand more about it and more about genetics, which is an actual science and not a pseudoscience, which many people would consider eugenics kind of falls into, at least many aspects of eugenics tend to fall into, uh, then you realize that it, in a concept, it just doesn't really work very well. This is, to me, eugenics falls into the same kind of pseudosciences as like phrenology. It was one of these early right. sciences that came out of the Enlightenment in that we were beginning to to have better tools to analyze the world, but we also just used a lot of just um, fallacious logic to be able to... Cultural bias. And cultural bias as well to justify and to justify a scientific um, means, but that's not science. Science is the empirical study measurement of evidence, yeah. the empirical uh, pursuit of the, the, the truth, basically. You yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, eugenics was spearheaded originally by craniologists, which was another pseudoscience at the time as well. Yeah. Discuss, you, you know, studying the phenotypes of individuals and, and the anthropomorphic differences that people, depending on, you know, where their ancestors are in the world, uh, is a very, very old form of race science, right? So again, there's going to be a lot of air quotes in this, folks. So you're just going to have to listen to the inflection to kind of figure out when we're doing it. But, yeah, uh, listen for the air yeah. quotes that we are <laughs> making on an audio podcast. <laughs> Let's um, make this very clear that none of us at this table support the idea of eugenics at all, at least in the sense of this, of this, the, the negative connotation that we're referring to of trying to filter out the gene pool as it were right yeah but it's still worth talking about because uh, concepts around eugenics have been around for a really long time and there are current practices that are going on to this day that can be classified as eugenics that, yes you know a lot of us have accepted as being a part of just you know reproductive sciences right so there is some gray area in this but where there's not gray area is where you know human rights are getting in, in involved and people are being abused and people are being murdered, and people are being forcefully sterilized, and all the other really horrible things that we're going to be bringing to you today yeah. on Nerds on History. Yeah, and and just to clarify, there are two kind of two groups of eugenics. There's the positive eugenics and negative eugenics, not in the sense that one's awesome and one's meh, but more like <laughs> um, positive eugenics being um, encouraging higher production, uh, re higher reproduction for people who have quote-unquote desired traits and negative reproduction or negative eugenics being um, the forceful sterilization and trying to keep people who have less desired traits from reproducing. Yeah, so. most of which are not hereditary at all. Right. Right. So, Matt, where would eugenics actually start? Because we know that the term was formed in the 19th century, but when, is it, when was eugenics really 
formed. Yeah, I mean, we can go all the way back to Plato with some of the original concepts of eugenics, uh, at least the core idea. But I really think we need to take a root in social Darwinism, which really came right before eugenics, and specifically two moments in history that really sort of brought that movement forefront uh, to the Victorian English and then how that eventually ends up making its way overseas to the Americas. And then, as we all know, later on into World War II. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's actually talk about Plato for a little bit, just because I found this really interesting. This, I read a little bit about Plato, you know, when I was in college. I think we all did. Uh, but I did I not. I mostly encountered it in uh, In, in kindergarten. Elementary school. Yeah. School, yeah. 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 It's a little salty. A little, a little bit. salty. <laughs> um, so, kids, you are learning about the forms right now. <laughs> <laughs> and let's actually make this an active what is, activity. What is the form of? It's a blob. It's a blob. But what's the form of a blob? What is its function? <laughs> this is blob with a capital B. The idea of a blob. <laughs> And let's just go actually do practical application. I'm going to put you in a cave. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, no, actual Plato, um, the philosopher, uh, he actually kind of had this whole idea that reproduction is something that should be controlled by the state, that people should be mated by the state, that um, some people would be, uh, would be forcibly sterilized, etc. But that the public really probably shouldn't know about it because not that many people would be on a, be on board. Surprise, surprise. Um, but it, <laughs> that they could do it under the guise of a lottery system. Mm. Right, right. Yeah. I think the whole idea was to create like a guardian class or something yes. like that from, mm-hmm. from that time period. Yeah. And it, what I remember from my civics class in college as well is that we were that the idea that this was fairly common amongst the whole Greek world, that to, in the Greek world, anybody who is not Greek was considered a barbarian. And in fact, even the term barbarian derives from the fact that to them, any other language than Greek sounded like bar, 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 when they were talking, which is in itself horribly offensive by modern standards. So thank you, Greece. Thank you. A lot of good stuff has come from Greece. That is very true. A lot of good stuff Our modern system of government. If you have seen their current economy, you know what? They're more than making up for it. Womp womp. We're not picking on the Greeks, really not. I was yeah. being facetious. So. They're they're they are kind of the beginning of the entire Western culture. So, yeah. kind yeah. of important. Great. <laughs> <laughs> but that where does it kind of go then from Plato to to Sir Francis Galton? You know, where where's the is there any in between there, or does it just kind of jump straight? I mean, you to can Galton? make an argument that the great chain of, chain of being in the Middle Ages mm-hmm. ties into this idea of eugenics, in the sense that of of, of imposing a class system. You know, that there are some people who are just meant to be certain things uh, in the world. Yeah. And And it basically, it was meant to really be just a means of pacifying the masses to prevent them from, you know, taking control of a feudal system of government. So... And, and no, no royal family really thought of this better than, than the, the English, who really considered themselves to be prime breeding stock. Oh, sure. And, and restricted it to prime breeding stock only. Well, not even that. Look at the Habsburg family, too, right? Throughout well, The Habsburg family is the perfect example of why eugenics is wrong, <laughs> is why it doesn't work. And it's so funny because the, the severe disabilities that so many of those family members suffered from, which we did... Uh, a whole, you know, I was going to say our Crazy uh, Monarchs episode. Yeah, we did an entire episode on this, right? Uh, you would have thought that would have been a warning sign, that that would have been something that would have discouraged this this type of thought and behavior. But um, 
I mean, yeah, we're dealing with a little bit of a smaller grouping of people, right? But nonetheless, the principle is still the same. Uh, anytime you're lessening the genetic diversity within any kind of family or community or what have you, you're going to have these kind of problems pop up. Uh, and it might take more time with the larger the community, but it's still going to happen eventually. Genetic diversity is, is what you need. And I get it. Okay, folks back then didn't exactly understand what genetic diversity was because we didn't really define genetics until much later. But you can see the writing on the wall when your monarchs, the people who are the most influential and powerful people in your country, uh, just so happen to be a bit, you know, cuckoo. Mm -hmm. I wonder what it could be. Yeah. Nobody, nobody thought of that? Nobody, nobody put two and two together? And what's more dangerous about that is that these people are also the most influential people in a society, right? They're essentially regulating what ideas are allowed to be to be dispersed, right? Yeah. So anything that is going to enforce that paradigm uh, is is going to be what's allowed to to flourish, you know? And, and yeah. that's that's scary. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the things that we also have to look at, especially with the British Empire in the early 1800s, is that eugenics, social Darwinism, it actually started originally with the abolitionist movement and actually freeing the Jamaicans and the sugar plantations. Everyone, Interesting. Yeah, everyone thought it was going to be a great idea. You know, they were going to turn into a peasantry for the British and it was <laughs> going to be great. Mm. Uh, didn't work out so well mm -mm. for the empire. In fact, the plantations that they had basically started rotting. And, you know, over years of this happening, uh, the British folks on Jamaica actually started going back to exactly what we were talking about, the great chain of being, being like, well, maybe the mythology of the lazy African is actually true, and we really need to do something more about that. And that's really where it originally started with the abolition, the freement of the Jamaican uh, slaves in the sugar plantations, and over time, where they didn't become this great Christian peasantry, this is where we started getting more of that great chain of being really being reintroduced into Victorian society for the British. Hmm. That's very interesting. So, okay, so let's talk about Sir Francis Galton now, because he's the guy who kind of coined the phrase, right? And he just so happened to be... The half-cousin of uh, good old, you know, Charles Darwin. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, where Darwin was saying, natural selection, <laughs> <laughs> Galton was like... Semi-natural. You know what? Let's just pick it. Let's yeah. just pick and choose what we want. It's it's interesting that Galton started publishing his work a year after Charles Darwin's death. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't want exactly to have to compete with his cousin, who had much greater standing in the scientific community than he did at that time. I mean, he, he was respected, but he wasn't on the same level of popularity and, and celebrity that Charles Darwin had achieved with uh, the work that he had done. And, you know, what better way to... to build off of the the theories of a of a colleague and and sibling and that were family member in this case um than to wait until after they're dead so they can't you know well and, and to be fair too darwin wasn't the only person he had referred to too he'd also drawn some of his data from a skewed understanding of gregor mendel uh and his yeah. early understanding of genetics too so that's that also ties into it Matt, do you yes. do you want to talk? To, can you speak a little bit to Galton and what his actual original theory was, and then kind of elaborate on that? With Galton, when he really wanted to take the Darwinism concept to really more of a social construct, and a lot of the craniologists and also the Great Chain of Being prior really built into a lot of his work, and it was very very popular at this point in history. In fact, some other uh, very famous individuals like Charles Dickens himself actually were huge proponents of social Darwinism at the time as well, post writing. And um, so define social Darwinism just for people out there. Yeah, absolutely. So 
Darwinism, survival of the fittest. Uh, social Darwinism basically applied that to both uh, capital and social constructs in society. So essentially, if you were poor, you were meant to be poor, and that's how you're, it wasn't up to the rich to save you. You were in the spot in life that you were because you were predetermined to do so. If you were going to rise up from that spot, it was up to yourself to do that, not the obligation of a government or an individual. Yeah, which uh, was also a dominating idea in the industrial age of the United States, mm-hmm. too. For sure, this idea, and it's a fairly conservative idea by modern standards, but the idea is that you you pull yourself up and you only have yourself to blame if you fail. For Yeah, which is that. great because it keeps the poor poor and the rich rich, and the rich can say, well, it's your own fault. And this is just a, another spin on, again, the great chain of being, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, the same, it's the same idea, just a different package inside of it, so... Yeah, and I mean, one of the the big events in history that really has to do with this specifically is the Morant Bay Rebellion. Have you guys heard of that before? No. 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 Uh, so it actually happens in 1865, and uh, there's a governor that they're having basically a trial, if you will, and the African uh, subjects don't think that they're getting a very fair trial. They think that they're being treated as lesser individuals, and so they have not necessarily a nonviolent, but they have a small protest that they have. But no one gets hurt. No, none of the white individuals uh, on this area get hurt at all. But the governor at the time, and his name was um, Governor John Eyre, and one of the things that ends up happening at this point is that he ends up wanting to send a message, and he himself was a social Darwinist. Uh, he believed in the great chain of being. And so to send that message, he ends up ending killing about 460 of the uh, African populace, oh as well God. as flogging almost another 400. Wow. Uh, and so this this is huge. And so he ends up going to court and they basically are like, you know, why did you do what you did? Why did you have this uh, great militia sent out basically on a killing spree? And he's like... Well, the Africans don't understand anything more than this kind of a violence. They needed this kind of a message to be sent across because we can't communicate in any other way. Um, but here's the crazy thing. It <laughs> just so disgusts me. That actually makes my stomach turn. No, it, it, it's terrible. It's one of the first early atrocities of this kind, specifically going into to the direction we will be with eugenics and what happens later on. But he's actually acquitted. So at this time period, all of the priests... All of the uh, Judiciary Committee, everybody has a huge popular support at this point that he believes that's correct, that that social Darwinistic view is the one that's popular at that time. And he's acquitted. Wow. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. I don't like it. Okay. Well, it's only going to get worse. (laughs) I know. I know. I mean, really what it boils down to is, is really this type of eugenics really does have to boil down to perception that one thing like one type of person is better than another type of person and that is so pardon my french bleep is coming that is so up (laughs) that is so messed up you know what normally i would say that's one but i'm gonna let you pass on that because (laughs) it is up yeah and then normally i would say that's two but again we're gonna we're gonna pass (laughs) on all the swears today yeah because they're worthy yeah there's a, I mean, and this is a, this is an interesting slope to go into too, because right now you're seeing it take place in the form of, of racism, but there are, there are tons of different ways that this type of mindset can, mm-hmm. can take form. And I think in this case, classism is also a pretty major component of it yeah. as well. <clears throat> um, but, and it's, because as it's growing, it's also targeting homosexuals. 
Yeah. Uh, the the mentally disabled or um, those with um, psychological delays, issues, schizophrenia. Yeah. yeah. You name it. Alcoholics. And anybody who's in a mental institution, effectively. Um, Anyone and, that's socially abnormal. Yeah. Yeah, any any essentially any minority, right? Uh, that could be either political or social, mm-hmm. uh, or is, ethnic. Yeah, as it often ends up being. Yeah. So, does anybody have any um, any information on Charles Davenport then? Okay, because he's a scientist from the U.S. Um, and he was actually a pretty big leading uh, eugenicist. Oh, he's the biologist. He he forms uh, the eugenics research something or other. Yes. Yes, the ERO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, or the IFEO, International Federation of Eugenics Organizations, in 1925. Um, and he provided the scientific basis for the policies of enforced sterilization. So he's the one who basically said, you know, if we forcefully sterilize these people, then we can definitely make sure that we're not passing on this stuff and that, you know, we're keeping it relegated to this certain population. Eventually it'll die out and we'll all be fine. Yeah, so. and I think that one of the things that we should also talk about when it comes to eugenics specifically right now is that in American or America, eugenics really is about the sterilization concept, where it will evolve later on to euthanasia overseas. Yeah. Well, yes and no. There was actually the uh, let's see, I believe it was the American uh, Alliance of, of of Euthanasists or something to that effect. It was it was some bizarre name that they gave themselves, and and they were all for. Uh, killing those that they coined as defective. Definitely, but they were definitely even on the fringes of society at this point in time. They were becoming more and more accepted all the time uh, because they were allying themselves with more eugenic eugenic communities that were forming uh, who themselves were based in major universities throughout the United States and were supported by, you know, notable politicians, authors, uh, individuals who were of high public standing, uh, who were 100% behind the concepts being talked about in eugenics, in particular sterilization, yes, which it take it takes its biggest form, uh, especially in California. California had sterilized more inmates in, in mental institutions and prisons than any other state combined uh, when when these programs were first going on. In, yeah, in the nineteen by the nineteen thirties, nineteen thirty three, I believe is is when they they took the that census. Yeah, I think actually by um, eugenics programs were in California up until nineteen sixty eight. And over a third of all sterilizations in the United States were actually done in California. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, it's so funny, right? Because we were just talking about us as Californians and our perception of ourselves in Californians when we were doing our Gold Rush episode. Yeah. yeah. We're so progressive. It was so forward thinking. And our California prisons were yeah. forcefully sterilizing women. Well, yeah. I mean, around the same time, too, there was Irvin Fisher. And he, this way I was at, <laughs> this guy was a, uh, a Yale economics professor, but he supported and he had contributed ideas to the field too and he was even going as far as to say you should sterilize or you should bring out even people who have lower iqs people who are just not as i guess i don't want to say as smart but just the people people who people who are developmentally delayed sure that's yeah. what we're talking and i about. believe it's iq of 70 or lower was what they were looking at right so yeah. low iqs that but then they were also making the but they were making a distinction between that and those who are mentally handicapped as well right. mm-hmm. so he was not the only person who was sharing this. Obviously, there was a, a group of people who were pushing this ideology forward. But it was a lot more than that. You know, I found it really interesting that in, in 1937, Fortune magazine did a poll and found that two out of three people who responded supported sterilization of, again, what they coined as mental defectives. Yeah, actually. And among those um, of, you know, popular supporters, Margaret Sanger 
who was the founder of Planned Parenthood. Yeah. You know, somebody who, I mean, she was she was a feminist and she did a lot of really great work. I'm for the most part, I'm kind of a woohoo Margaret Sanger, except for this part. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like FDR, you know. Hey, we all loved FDR except for the whole part where you know he created Japanese internment right, camps. Yeah, right. Well, and I think also I think Churchill also supported eugenics too. So like, there's. Oh you know, God. Churchill Nobody's just perfect. Churchill went wherever the wind was blowing. <laughs> I'm sorry, this guy. You know, oh, we don't like the Soviets. Well, very good. I don't like communists at all. Yes, I We don't like homosexuals. Oh, very good. I don't like them at all. Yes, I'm sorry, Lord Churchill. What was that? <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. Is <laughs> anybody have any scotch? Okay. <laughs> um, Where's my ship? But I, I'm, I'm done. Sorry. No, but she she never and Margaret Sanger never um, condoned euthanasia, um, but she did uh, condone um, compulsory sterilization and segregation, um, especially for those who are the quote unquote undeniably feeble minded. Um, and she really did not believe in also quote irresponsible and unintelligent breeding. So. You know, she kind of found a common cause with Planned Parenthood, which, again, was kind of... I like Planned Parenthood. They do great work. But <laughs> this uh, this It makes aspect, you feel kind of grody on the inside when you realize there was a double standard. I know. There. You're just like, ooh. A double intention, I should say. I'm, I'm so glad that things have Well, there were changed. a lot of... There were a lot of notable individuals at that time who were, who were members of these... Of these organizations, right? So the American Breeders Association. Oh, oh God. God. I know. Yeah. Um, they, they took it a step further and established a committee of eugenics um, who, you know, many of its members like Alexander Graham Bell, uh, Vernon Kellogg, Luther Burbank. These are all, you know, notable names to history. Uh, these folks were all 100% behind it. And it was kind of an idea that really didn't really stop in popularity until the Nazis took it to an extreme, right? And I think, however, if the Nazis hadn't done it, I honestly believe that if, if the momentum around eugenics had carried on someone else and would escalated, I think it could very well have happened in America. Yeah. Well, and I know that people are going to say, no, 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 that couldn't have possibly happened. We would have seen it happen and we would have put a stop to it. If you, it if you look somewhere. at... Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's okay. I'm just saying it would happen somewhere. Yeah. Uh, if you look at National Geographic, not National Geographic, uh, scientific illustrations from this time, from from even the late 19th century going into the early 20th century, uh, and I, the reason I mentioned National Geographic is, is because they released an issue that was related to this, but there was essentially a spectrum of, uh, of races uh, and it essentially, it, it was a scientific justification for white supremacy without calling it white supremacy. It, essentially, the darker your skin got in tone, the lesser you were. And that included Europeans who had a darker complexion. So someone from... And people from Eastern Europe as well were held sure. in the same regard. So someone from Southern Spain who happened to have, you know, a couple, you know, not a couple, but several centuries before had... A relative who intermarried with someone who is Arabic and now has darker hair color and darker skin, slightly darker skin complexion, by the way, they are a a notch lower than an Aryan white haired, you know, sorry, not white haired, blonde haired, blue eyed individual. And it's 
I mean, that part makes you feel uneasy. And then when you, as you see the illustrations of, of African-Americans and how they grossly interpret them and make them look more, more ape-like than, than, well, and the than they're supposed to be. Well, the fact that Africans at the time were being taken away from Africa and put on display and traveled around the world as if they were museum items, like... Right. I mean, it, that's, those terrible. are the kind of things that turn my stomach and... And, and it just it, and this just plays into exactly what you're talking about with with this idea. Um, well, there's and, a, yeah, there became a concept of of a fit individual and an unfit individual, and essentially anybody of European heritage that was that was in favorable political and 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 social standing in America was considered to be a fit individual, and anybody else fell into various degrees of being unfit. Yeah, I mean, I think for our listeners, it's hard to sort of put yourself back in that time period. But one of the most interesting things that I found was uh, in the Midwest at the time at your you know normal fair, your country fair, you've got games and amusements and people are buying pies. There was actually for almost 10 years this contest. It was a perfect baby contest. Each yeah. baby started with a thousand points. And then they had a laundry list of items they'd go down and deduct points off of that list to find out which baby was the most perfect and had the least amount of defects. And this was something you would win medals for, and you'd have your babies, and you'd bring. Wow. wow. Yeah. People are weird. Um, yeah, people are frightening. Well, and, I, and I, so let's just, let's actually talk about this. Let's talk about real life examples. We're saving the big one for next episode, but let's kind of talk about what else was going on. Australia. I mean, the, abor- the like, Aboriginal people were being targeted and, um, you know, the they their goal was to culturally assimilate people, but it was it was genocide. <laughs> yeah, on a big scale, and you know, it was something that was it was a slow bleed. Yeah, right. It was something that was very deliberate, very planned, very well executed in, in a PR sense. Right, people were behind it. People supported it because they thought it was ethical. Because they played it off as being ethical, as then saving them. Because they were focusing primarily on children. Right. I mean, that was the big relocation of the majority of these individuals were kids. Um, we've talked about this before. Rabbit Proof Fence, which was a, a really phenomenal movie that came out a few years back uh, about the journey of these two kids who are taken to one of these these camps. You know, and they are meant to be indoctrinated in, in Christian religion and they are to be raised and, and taught to live ways like, like their white counterparts and eventually to marry somebody who would probably most likely be white in, in the hopes of, of weeding out what they thought was undesirable about them to the point where those individuals would simply disappear and no longer exist any longer and they'd only be in, the, in photos in your history books. Um, which is so insidious, right? Yeah. Because if you think about it, you know, the Nazis' idea was, well, let's just take these people, exterminate them, and then never think about them again. Whereas in Australia, it was like, well, we're doing them a favor. We want to remember them. We want to remember how they were because it teaches us how much better they are now. Well, not to be not to be the uh, the inappropriate optimist in this case, but at least they were allowed to marry people who were outside of their race. Because in the United States, it wasn't until the 1960s where misogyny was completely struck down. And True. to think that in some states you weren't allowed to, to do that because of someone's different skin color is also... But, but you should also have the freedom to choose. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, I mean, absolutely. And that may be true as well. I mean, there were people in Australia at that time, especially higher up, that for some of those Aboriginal people that were basically getting hunted down, they were actually going to essentially be stuffed and become museum pieces that were actually going to oh be in Australia. Yeah. And so I found many accounts of that, which is crazy. Yeah. 
again, to my original point, rabbit proof fence, really touching story about these two kids who, who follow the, the rabbit fences, uh, back to their, back to their home. And it's, it's based on a true story. It's very touching, but it also, it also paints this, this mindset that was going on. Um, and I almost feel like it's worse when it's done with the, you know, best of intentions. Everything's always the best of intentions. Yeah. Well, no, the, the Nazis knew what they were doing was wrong. Uh, that's why they, they took great lengths to make it secret and hide it from their own people, because they knew that if it did get out in a really big way, there would have to be some sort of stop to it by by the Germans. They, they would eventually say, enough is enough, and we can't support this. So they, they did a, a good job of hiding it. Um, whereas in Australia, they just did a good job of covering up what it really was. Yeah, it was a big PR campaign. Yeah. There was also um, in Canada in 1928 in Alberta, they had the uh, Sexual Sterilization Act that happened um, where it was a movement of sterilizing mentally deficient individuals. Um, And they actually had like like Alberta's eugenics program and people who were driving, politically trying to drive um, to have um, forced sterilization on the indigenous people of Canada as well, the First First Nations people. And um, this is, again, where they were doing the IQ tests and all that stuff. And it's just, eh, it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> you know, and, and again, we're going to talk about this more in the second episode where where the Nazis created an industry out of eugenics and genocide. The Americans, however, we really did kind of give them most of their pointers and ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we We started it in a big way. And that's something that, at least when I was in school, was very much glossed over, right? Yeah, we didn't, this wasn't talked about much. I don't think I actually learned what eugenics was. Until college, basically. Until I was older. Yeah. And, you know, I remember being it's in he- high to be school. Fair, it's, it's heavy stuff for a kid to, to it learn. It is heavy But so stuff, is the Holocaust. But... Yeah. And, and I, learned, about I learned about that. I mm-hmm. learned about the Second World War. I learned about the Holocaust. I learned about 11 million Jews and about 20 million total people in concentration camps being systematically slaughtered and killed. We learned about the Holocaust. Here, here's here's American history for you. Learned about the Holocaust in elementary school. Did not learn about Japanese internment until my freshman year of high school. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't learn about it until college for the Japanese internment. Yeah. I think maybe we should start with that one. <laughs> yeah. Start with what's closest to home. Understand your own mistakes before you start judging other people's mistakes, yeah. right? But my point in all of this is that America really did a lot when it came to compulsory sterilization and passing laws and laws that were eagerly passed and enthusiastically supported. And even when the Supreme Court started questioning these decisions and taking away these laws, states were fighting to get them back. Yeah, I mean, I think we should talk about Buck v. Bell, which was the big Supreme Court decision. Talk Um, about it. Yeah. So Buck v. Bell, essentially, you have a 17-year-old woman who was impregnated. This is in 1927. Yes, this is in the context. Absolutely. Yeah. So 1927. And essentially, she's at this home, quote unquote, for feeble-minded individuals. Now, I want everyone to understand feeble-minded doesn't necessarily mean that you have um, a lower faculty. It also could just mean that you also are abnormal in society and been placed in one of these homes. So it wasn't people that just had, say, a lower IQ or had a difficulty with some sort of um, mental uh, capacity. Now, what's interesting, though, about the story is – 
She ended up having a mother who was feeble-minded already at the home. She had a daughter that was considered feeble-minded as well. Keep in mind, she got Bs later on on her report cards, but the the child was considered feeble-minded. And so she was going to be the first person sterilized officially in the United States. And this was actually being fought at the time. And the only evidence there was of her being feeble-minded was uh, the governor at the time had not ever met her just had basically two letters of correspondence. And there's promiscuity uh, as well. And the only evidence of that was an old school teacher who said that she ended up sending letters to boys and was flirtatious. Those were the only pieces of evidence against her. And so because they were, she was promiscuous, her child must have been feeble-minded. Correct. And they, they believe the child to be, quote-unquote, feeble-minded as well, just from their experience with this little baby. This wow. is I, sexual politics right here. This yes, is, it is. Uh, this is, you know what, and... A lot of this, too, a lot of the stuff that I find within this, and I'm sorry to cut you off, oh, no, go absolutely. right back at it, is that so much of this is control of women. So much is, like, forcing sterilization on women. Yeah. It's because upsetting. of a woman's sexuality. Yeah. Just because of her her desire to be yeah. a sexual entity. Oh, and this was, at the, entity. T- this was at, the, at the time, like, not too far removed from when, you know, women were hysterical, so doctors had to induce orgasm on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- uh, madness go on no but i mean it it is really crazy um but you're right i mean it does have to do with that and you know with very little evidence goes to the supreme court uh it actually turns out her lawyer really didn't fight that hard for her it turns out that the promiscuity actually she was raped by her um caretaker's nephew and that family didn't want shame essentially and that's why they actually put her in this home and (laughs) wow but in the end it it passes she is going to be she gets to be the first person that's ever sterilized um her child ends up actually being a decent student for the few years that she ended up being alive in school she ended up dying of a a tragic disease uh but oliver wendell holmes the the gentleman who actually was the chief justice at the time presiding over the case quoted was three generations of imbeciles is enough so you know again this shows you at this time period what sort of the thought was and it and i'm pretty sure it was a unanimous decision I don't think anyone fought it. It was, it was really insane. Uh, and to this day, never been overturned. Are you serious? It's never yeah. been overturned. There have been lots of laws that make it more difficult for sterilization. But to this day, that Supreme Court case, never been overturned. And, you know, if you listen to a lot of the terminology that's being used, mm-hmm. like feeble-minded, imbecile, these are all an attempt to dehumanize these people. Mm-hmm. They are they are human beings but in order to treat them as something other than that, you have to take away their humanity. Right. Uh, and if you cage people up, if you put them into these institutions and you treat them like animals, it's, then it's easier for the population to see them as such and get behind them and support this. Yeah. Uh, there was... So so, so this was um, the beginning of, of a much larger and more um, defined movement of sterilization in the united states i don't think it was the it was one of the first legal cases where it was reviewed and and deemed yes this is appropriate but there were there were sterilizations going on before that yeah so like first first official legal like this was a big deal kind of thing right but you know since pretty much 1907 to 1963 approximately 64,000 americans were sterilized Mm -hmm. um based on you know their gender based on their sexuality based on what they were deemed uh, to be as, again, deficient individuals, people who were not um, to the same standards that society put them at. And, you know, this hits particularly close to home for me, 
uh, our longtime listeners know that I am the father of a special needs child. So I have a child who's on the autism spectrum. And in doing this research and just in just knowing of this information, as I have for many years, yeah. uh, it's very hard for me to imagine what life would have been like for my daughter if she had been born, you know, 60, 70 years ago. What would that have yeah. looked like for my my little girl? And it's 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 kind of frightening because you have to put yourself in those shoes. Yeah. And you have yeah. to think to yourself, what would I have done as a parent? Would I have gone along with the rest of society and, and considered my child to be something that she wasn't and, and treated her poorly and, and gotten rid of her and sent her off and treated her as a burden? Or would I have, like I do in my life now, love my child without any condition, see her as an amazing human being, and support her and give her every opportunity so that she can reach her fullest potential, whatever that potential may manifest as in her life. Yeah. Uh, and I'd like to think that no matter what time I lived, I would have that same view. But, you know, it, it's difficult because I, I don't really know. Nobody really knows. Yeah. You can't really put yeah. yourself, you know, I, I believe, like, I've always said, you know, I've talked a lot about autism. I'm a big supporter of of the communities out there that, that give support to parents who have autistic children. And I've always said it's very, very simple. All you need to do is love your children. If you love your kids, they're going to be fine. Yeah. You will give them every opportunity you can, and you will know that you have done your best. Uh, and some people, to this day, you know, I'm not saying that they don't love their kids, but I, I think they just kind of give up. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, there's there's no, you know, sterilization that was going on like that. There's, But there's certainly still abuse of special needs individuals going on. And you see this in a lot of homes for, for people who have assisted living and what have you. Uh, and you have to be very careful and you have to be very cautious about what you, how you, how you choose to, to help your child develop the, for the rest of their life, because there's still some of this stuff going on, yeah. not to the same degree, but it, it's still certainly there. And it scares me. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. It scares yeah, me. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would take that one step further and I would say you have to be careful just the words you choose to use in front of your, your children too. Yeah. Cause if you listen to the words that that there were that were used during this time period feeble-minded imbecile retarded retarded i would go as far as to say probably stupid would have been a common word used too and if you think about it those words all seem fairly except for retarded all those words seem fairly benign yeah. nowadays but if you think about even the word stupid it means one who is in a stupor someone who is essentially unable to move because of some physical incapacity calling someone stupid is just as hurtful as saying any other word about them and words are one of the few things in this world that we truly have you know and yeah. i think promoting yes i know there are some people who are less intelligent than others it is a reality calling somebody and many of them are on reality television so i mean we you, you can witness it yourself <laughs> you really can calling somebody stupid is just it, it is in a very microcosmic way it is promoting a this type of philosophy because at the very not that all of a sudden you're saying oh, you're stupid you should be sterilized but you're promoting this this distinction that i'm i'm better than you because you said something or did something that was yeah. not yeah. intelligent how can you give somebody a chance if you already immediately put them down you know if you if you build a, a lack of confidence within them how are they ever supposed to to rise and 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 go above and beyond 
their own expectations, let alone your expectations. So we're getting passionate here. Yes, we are. Which yes. is which is fine. I've I kind of have my personal stuff too that I would like to talk about, but I think let's go ahead and hold up for the next episode because. Um, from there, we're going to kind of talk about World War II into kind of the modern context for where we're at. So um, I kind of want to just let's hold off for now, and then we're going to continue this in part two. Um, do we have any listener feedback? We do. I, before we do that, I just have to say I'd like to apologize to John Sutter because uh, I did call him an idiot. Because we did call him an idiot. So, That's true. John. Uh, an idiot. I'm sorry. I, 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 <laughs> hang on a Brian's going to defend us. <laughs> an idiot. I, I think passes because an idiot is one who possesses no wisdom. And I think John Sutter was an idiot. <laughs> and right, I, mean I, re- that I retract my previous statement and replace it with Brian's apology. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Thank you for apologizing for my apology. I There's a difference that. between being an idiot and being stupid. That's what we just learned. <laughs> yeah. yes. Choose your words carefully, kids. Yes. I agree. Hey, Use your words carefully. The I've, more you know, the I've little actually, star should go across. With. I've got it tattooed on me. I have a tattoo that says words are divine. And that's because I'm pretty... In, in my in my life philosophy, words and communication is what has brought us to the level that we are in humanity. It is it is what made us essentially gods on our own, um, if you want to look at Nisha. So <laughs> um, words are extremely powerful for anybody who tries to, um, you know, excuse the use of any word that you have to understand that everything comes with meaning and intent and context. So... All right, that's enough of that. Listener feedback. This week in Listener Feedback. We do have some feedback, as it turns out. Excellent. Wonderful. Um, First of all, I'd like to put a shout out to uh, Savvy Geek Girl, whatever your real name is. Uh, It's Savvy. Savvy. And she's kind of fallen in love with our podcast, which is awesome. Uh, I she, told her she would fall in love with it even more when she got to the episodes where I was a regular host. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's let's start at the beginning. She says, I am a completionist, so I haven't heard any of your recent podcasts because I have started at the beginning. However, you gentlemen and lady have been getting me through work for the past month. I have yet to listen to Nerds on Film, but it's on my podcast list. I love Godspeed. history, and I think it's awesome to have found kindred spirits who made a podcast out of their history love. So clearly she's been up to date enough to know that you are on the podcast. Maybe not on as regular, but she knows that you're there. Yeah, I was on a couple of times by the point that she started. You were on several times before. Let's give yourself credit. Okay. We had an awesome episode about the English language. Still one of our most popular episodes. You were basically our go-to guest host before you became a regular co-host. It was pretty fun. I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Woodstock Less responsibility Woodstock back in the day. <laughs> oh my god, the Woodstock one, the Atlantis episode. How can we forget Which the Atlantis I still have episode? not listened to. <laughs> oh, Eric. I think what, one of these days, Eric, we're going to get you very drunk. Then we're going to tie you down and one, make you listen to the Atlantis episode. Two, make you watch Gods and Kings. Not going to happen. All and right, then three, we're going to hire a clown. If we do, and on a boat. That's not cool. On a boat. And if and we. force d- feed me avocados. And with We're going to put a pool in an inner tube. Avocados will kill you. But if we do all that to Eric, then we are wa- making you watch Alien. Yeah. All of them. All of is, them. I had a feeling this was coming. Yeah. Even those god awful Alien versus Predator movies. I haven't even seen those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is all in good fun, right? 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 This is all in good fun. Let's move on, shall we? Before okay. we, Yeah, let's move on. Um, so she continues. Um, Savvy Geek Girl has uh, also mentioned us on Twitter several times. We want to give her a shout out. First of all, she had uh, recommended our podcast to uh, 
the person whose handle is at Sorted Euphemism. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, so thank you for recommending us to them. Uh, and that uh, she is willing... Oh, Internet Dad is his name. Uh, he is willing cookies our way. Nice. We're talking about getting nice. cookies. Um, I know that she did a review for us on her website, which I believe is Sexy and Savvy Geek Girl, mm-hmm. or Sexy Savvy Geek Girl. It's a Savvy Geek Girl. Is what the no, woman. that's the handle, but her website is Sexy and Savvy Geek Girl. Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember because I went to go read it. Thank you. Really nice review. But definitely had to click a, yes, I'm 18 <laughs> to, uh, to read it. So, oh, got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay, cool. So she does not censor her opinions at all. Very nice. Uh, we did get one more. Did you guys want to read it? It was from Andrew about our John Sutter episode. This one comes from Andrew. It's titled John Sutter's Grave. Uh, and I'm just going to read the first paragraph and paraphrase the rest here. Hey, nerds, I'm a longtime listener. Started in January of your first year, and I love the podcast. Kind of bummed about the change in releases, but it's perfectly understandable. I just miss my weekly hour plus nerd show or long show. And you know what? We've all established I can't stop breeding. Uh, I have so many children. And you know what, folks? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You just you got to keep up with me and my busy schedule. Now, we did discuss this. However, if you want to send us large amounts of money. You can do that, yes. And then we will quit our jobs, and then we will we will just do this all the time. And of course, you know, we've talked about that. You know, the Audible, the the the, the, Amazon. the, 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 the pay, Amazon, the PayPal, working the us into t-shirts. your relatives' wills, yeah. the T-shirts, oh, yeah, bequests, yep, uh, endowments, post tax protection IRAs. money, um, you know, your your piggy bank trust fund, all those options, you know. That can make us do profitable stock options. Probably profitable stock options. Absolutely, <laughs> um, all those things um, will help us be able to do the show on a weekly basis again. Indeed. So, so. just make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andrew, uh, we're actually going to put you in charge of that. So uh, have fun. Uh, anyhow, he he goes on to talk about uh, his the area that he lives in, which is Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, hey, Deanna, if you're listening, I know you're from there, and I know you hate the smell of chocolate. Uh, he happens to also live down the street from the famous chocolate plant and the Reese's plant and all the chocolate that where chocolate comes from in the United States apparently is centered there. Uh, anyhow, he is uh, in close proximity to John Sutter's grave, uh, which is kind of uh, an interesting grave. So I guess Congress decided to, to honor him by building a six foot tall marble wall around it. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Uh, and the family and the, the Moravians uh, who offered up their graveyard to him. Uh, God's acre is what it's called. They, they objected to that. Um, as every other gravestone in that area is only very non flashy kind of flat headstones. And then um, this guy has his own mausoleum. Yeah. He's got his own six foot wall. Uh, and it's one foot above the ground and the other, or sorry, the one foot, uh, is above ground and the five other are now below it. Oh that's yeah. Weird. So that's kind of weird. Uh, I guess he's like. Was really... it trying to prevent the worms from getting in? Or moles, perhaps? Maybe. The mole people? Was the graveyard. The mole people? On... Yeah. <laughs> Was the graveyard. That's a real on... thing, right? What? The mole, mole people. people. <laughs> the mole people. <laughs> Sir, they're, they're from we Atlanta. Are at Sutter's grave. What is wrong? <laughs> we have encountered marble. Damn! <laughs> <laughs> well, they're from Atlantis. You know, they were part of the Atlantean yes, gene- uh, uh, eugenics program. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm just wondering, like, is this grave maybe on marshland or something that would have caused I, I think it was designed that way. 
Uh, any, anyhow, he goes on and says, you, you guys have done a number of podcasts examining uh, many different traditions in one go. How about uh, all the different faiths that arose from the Protestant Reformation? Oh, so that's a God, that is huge. And that, is that would huge. be a really lofty episode. Uh, but We could talk we about totally the, big, the big headers. I actually, I would say I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert, but I'm not just knowledgeable on Catholicism. I would say that as far as Christianity goes, I'm f- I am I do have a basic breakdown of the Protestant denominations because a lot of, all of them pretty much come from three forks in the Protestant uh, faith so we could p- potentially do that we might yeah. be able to make that work yeah okay i'm down for that cool all right very good uh he also mentions that you know he's got a ba in religious studies so he finds this all very fascinating would love yeah. to cool then you can certainly correct me when i make my mistakes absolutely so. that is, you know that's gonna happen <laughs> uh and he finishes with i love the podcast and look forward to the next one keep up the great work yours truly andrew p.s and i'm gonna say this in a german accent huzzah <laughs> well, thank you, and Mr. Levi's thanks you as well. Chazat <laughs> you all. Great. Anyhow, I think that's what we've got for listener feedback. Cool. That is awesome. Uh, so, real quick, just gonna do an awesome little shout out. Um, my good friend Jill and her one wonderf- we love we love jill she's fantastic she was a, a guest on nerds on film once um our she, oz episode yeah. yes and she's a wonderful supporter of the podcast and she's a good friend to me um and she and her boyfriend brian made a really really cool game called lost woods it's a board game um where you are um a camper and you are lost in the woods great and you fight monsters and you find treasure and at the same time you are also building your board as you go Hmm. um and you fight your monsters by rolling dice and it's really fun um and it's a simple mechanic um for people who aren't necessarily into board games but not so simple that the people who are into really complicated board games don't enjoy it also so it's a really good middle ground if you're um one of those people who plays you know dominion on the regular basis and then as dating somebody who's only ever played scrabble uh this is a really good transitional game for those kind of those kinds of relationships um anyway you can support them by going to their kickstarter learning more about it just look up lost woods um they are trying to get some funding uh to make this game happen and i would love to see it happen and be sold in many many online and in-store places because it's super fun and i want to play it all the time Okay, that's enough for me. Uh, indeed. And so w- while we're supporting Jill and mm-hmm. her boyfriend's entrepreneur- entrepreneurial endeavor with mm-hmm. board games, let's talk about how you can support Neuronomy other than the laundry list of ways that you could give us money. Um, want to re- reiterate the, the ones that we really would expect you to do. Mm-hmm. You, of course, can go to Neuronomy.com and either buy one of our t-shirts, which are nice, made in the United States. They're uh, printed on American apparel fabric, so... They're nice shirts as well as ethically made. Uh, on top of, uh, of course, you can go to PayPal and give us a donation. And, of course, support us through our Audible and Amazon affiliations. Amazon's, you go to our blog posts uh, or older Nerds on Film episodes that have the links. And they will, uh, you get anything off of Amazon with that link, we will get a commission off of that. And then with Audible, it's very simple. Go to audibletrial.com slash nerdonomy or click on the link on the right-hand side of our website. And uh, when you sign up for that free trial, you'll, we will get a small commission for doing so. And honestly, the easiest thing you can do for us 
Just tell people about us. Please. Suggest us to coworkers. Suggest us to friends and family members. Write a review on iTunes. Write a review on iTunes and get us that that fifth star. We're at four and a half stars. And I have to say, we have been between four and four and a half stars for the past two years. Since the beginning, yeah. Since the beginning, which I'm really, really proud of. And I want to thank everybody in this room right now for making that possible. Yay. And that's including a couple of one and two star reviews. Yeah, Two. from, you know, people who have their opinions. And, and that, welcome to them. That's that's allowed. Not everybody's going to love us. But most people do. So you should absolutely retweet, repost any of our episodes as soon as they go up on social media. All right. Yeah. Cool. Brian's nodding. You know what that means. <laughs> it means it's that time, nerds. So uh, until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time. Same nerd channel. Nerdonomy. Wait. We what? forgot to thank Matt. But he's coming back the next episode. Oh, right. Sorry, keep going. We were leaving him in suspense. <laughs> Same nerd time. I Same have... nerd no, channel. No, I just gotta do it all. We just bogarted Brian. That was awesome. High five. <laughs> <laughs>